do thank you that there have been men and women uh, through multiple, multiple generations now who have served in such a way as to protect the freedom that we enjoy. And God, we're grateful today as we celebrated Friday, but also today uh, for the men and women who have served and even for those who have given their lives. And so God, as we continue our discussion on values and the values that you have, not just for us, but for also for our, this world that you have made, made your creation, we pray that you'd give us wisdom. May we be reasonable in our assessment. And Lord, also be men and women of conviction as we latch on to the convictions that you have. And so speak to our hearts and our minds today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So to, to get us thinking about the topic before us today, continuing on in it, in it, I want you to think about the headlines that you have all been aware of in the last few months in our nation, just the things that have made the headlines. So look up here on the screen, screen. obviously Occupy Wall Street, protesters who are trying to make a statement as to what they see is corruption with big business. Or Solyndra and the allegations of wasted government money and possible lying to cover it up. How about the Fast and Furious scandal with U.S. guns ending up in the hands of Mexican criminals? Or even the Euro debt crisis that continues to destabilize world markets? I mean, these are just four of the headlines from the last few weeks. How about even just this past week? Were you reading the news? Penn State and Joe Paterno all mixed up with potential knowledge of child sex abuse. Michael Jackson's doctor, I don't know if you noticed, was convicted of involuntary manslaughter. And even Herman Cain, the, the one of the strong contenders for the Republican ticket, has now been accused of sexual harassment from years ago. I mean, these are all things that have made the headlines as political issues. That's really key, political issues in our world. But my point is, is that when you look closely at each one of them in their own right, they also contain a moral component to them as well. I mean, you can't escape it, whether it's big business greed or government cover-ups or sexual misconduct, there's a moral component underlying the political issues seemingly every week that make our headlines. And please hear me, folks, and do not get me wrong. I am not suggesting by using these examples that any or all of these people or groups of people are guilty of what they've been accused of. I am not suggesting that. I'm simply pointing out that the things that tend to make headlines in our world today that we label political issues are also in their same right moral issues. They contain a moral component to them. And what you simply need to know, and this is what we tried to establish last week, is that God has always been concerned about the morality of his creation. He has. I mean, he gave us the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, as well as hundreds of other ethical standards ranging from the sanctity of life to how to street treat strangers in the land. Jesus, then turning to the New Testament, gave us the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters of very high ethical standards, kingdom values that he wants his followers, and one could even argue all people, to be about. Then you flip the page into the epistles and you read entire lists of behaviors that God wants his people about and even behaviors that he doesn't want his people to be about. And then even the last book of Bible, the book of Revelation, talks a lot about morality, using terms like righteousness, evil, faithful, and true. 
I mean, to be sure, folks, let's not be misunderstood. The Bible is not simply a book of a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's much more than that. And we're going to talk about that as we go along this morning. But this is never to be confused with the fact that God doesn't care about morality in this world. Of course he does. And his book is replete with examples from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And if you can latch on to that at all, that was our starting place last week as we kicked off this discussion on convictions. Simply put, that God does care about this world, and he even cares about the morality of this world, and he wants you and me as his followers to not be afraid to trumpet the values that he cares so much about. And if the values that we talk about have happened to have been hijacked by our current political culture and made into political issues, that's not our problem. You and I cannot apologize for speaking into political issues that God originally labeled moral issues. I mean, think about that. If your kid accuses you of treading in his or her realm with an issue that you originally taught them about, an issue that you were originally concerned for in their lives, and then they would accuse you of treading in their realm because now that issue is their issue, you're going to say, wait a second, stop. I brought you into this world. I love you. I was talking to you about these things way before you got involved with them. And God says the same to us. He says just because a political culture has made an issue, say sanctity of life or the holiness of marriage or strangers in the land, a political issue today doesn't mean that the Bible didn't label it a moral issue years ago and has something to say about it. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. Now, With this said, however, this idea that God does have universal values and that he does want our world to know about them and even tune into them, once we establish this, we also need to talk about the fact that Christians, you and I, have not always done an admirable job when it comes to how and in what ways we have shared God's values and convictions with the world around us. In other words, just think for a minute about the history of Christianity the last 2,000 years in the Western world. We have gotten judgmental at times. We've gotten bitter, but we've gotten combative. Quite frankly, we've gotten a bit unchristlike in how and in what ways we've shared God and his values with the world around us. If you don't believe me, just think about the mixed track record we have with inhibiting religious freedom. So think of France and England in the 17th and 18th century as we're trying to inhibit Protestants or inhibit Catholics or inhibit anybody that will want to have freedom to believe what they want to believe. Or or, or consider how we have been too forceful in history past in asking a fallen world at times to embrace God's value and truth. Think of the Spanish Inquisition where we forced people to, to embrace faith in Christ and that wasn't very winsome. Or even in our generation, I don't know about you, but I was so embarrassed back in the 1990s when the evangelical world was resorting to name-calling and character-bashing when it came to some of the things going around in culture, and we called Ellen DeGeneres Ellen DeGeneres. I remember when that hit the news, I was so disappointed in the way that Christians were posturing themselves toward that issue in culture. Folks, we have not always had a godly attitude, and a Christ-like posture toward others when it comes to how and in what ways we have shared God's value with them. And I know how some Christians think. I know what some of them say. They say, well, Jamie, big deal. So we're a little bit too passionate, a little bit unloving at times in the way we share it. At least we get the message across. 
And I would ask us to back up this morning and say, whoa, it is a big deal. I'm going to show you in the Word right now how it is God's A priority that you and I, when we share His values and His truth, and that also includes, as we're going to see, His gospel with those around us, that we do so in a certain way that He commands and even values. So this is point B or point two on your outline as we move along this morning. And it's simply this, that Christians are called to lovingly, that's going to be the operative word, share God's values with an erring culture. But we are called to lovingly share his values with an erring culture. So what I'm simply pointing out, and this is eminently biblical, is that the how is just as important as the what when it comes to sharing God's values with a fallen culture. How we do it, that the medium is just as important as what we say, the message. If you brought a Bible with you, I want you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 15. Actually, we're going to only look at verse 15. This is going to be a, a, a one-verse message, essentially. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It's found toward the end of your New Testament, if you're going to use a pew Bible there. If not, you can look up here on the screen, but it's talking very specifically about this issue of how you and I should posture ourselves when sharing God and his values with the world around us. So listen to what it says, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Woe. Obviously, I want you to focus on that very last phrase there where it says, do it with gentleness and respect. Two very robust New Testament words that are actually talking about two very significant character traits that God desires, no, actually commands in his followers. First, look at that word gentleness. It's the Greek word proutes, and it occurs multiple times in the Greek version of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint, as well as in the Greek New Testament. And I love this word. It literally means, and I get this, to be pleasant, to be kind, or to be humble. If you've got a King James version of the Bible, it translates this word meek. And in New Testament days, this word was actually used in the secular Greek culture to refer to the taming of animals. So picture an animal that you wouldn't want in your house because it's going to chew the furniture and it's too wild and it's not tamed, and you then tame it. It is now kind, and it is welcome in your household. That's what this word is trying to picture here, that kind of tameness, that kind of kindness. And the way the Bible uses this word, folks, i got to tell you, is both revealing and powerful. It's used to describe Moses in the Old Testament when it links his gentleness to the fact that God trusted him with direct revelation in Numbers 12, verse 3. It was used to describe Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, when it says that he was gentle and humble in heart. This word is used to describe Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 10, 1, as he patterned his life after Jesus. This word is even listed as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, one of the evidences that you're a Christian. It's used in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And it's even listed as a sign that you are one of the chosen of God, one of the elect in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. I mean, you get the picture. 
from Moses to Jesus to Paul to anybody who would claim the name of Jesus, the Bible, like a scratch CD, is saying over and over again, we're to be gentle in our demeanor. And yet it doesn't stop there. Most importantly, this trait, this same Greek word, is supposed to be in play, the Bible says, when we posture ourselves toward an unbelieving world, especially when we're talking to them about Jesus and God's values. Three times the Bible uses the word proutes, gentleness, to talk about you and me in our discussions with the lost world when it comes to talking to them about God and his value. And so in 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 and 25, it tells us, and I quote, to correct our opponents with gentleness. And then in Titus 3, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that we're to approach secular authorities, not in a quarrelsome fashion, but, and I quote again, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. And then obviously here in 1 Peter 3.15, we're told to respond to anybody. And by the way, we all know it includes outsiders, like it's not anybody in church, but anybody out there who asks you for the hope that you have to give them an answer, tell them about God, tell them about his values, but to do so with gentleness. And so here's the point. Every time you and I see an evangelical Christian on CNN or Fox News or even on the local news here, and they're anything but kind and gentle, when they're being combative and disrespectful, this does nothing but distract from the cause of Christ and from sharing his values. We think it helps. We think these guys are confident. Aren't they bold? Aren't they witty? No, they're non-gentle. They're disrespectful. And quite frankly, it's an embarrassment to the cause of Christ. Because what God says is that if you're ever going to talk about his morals, you need to have in your heart and life morality 101, of which gentleness is the lead trait. Isn't that cool? And so I was trying to think, what would be an example of this in another area of culture? You and I trying to talk to a lost culture about morality without being gentle would be like going to a dentist who doesn't brush his teeth. Would you want to do that? I don't think you would. Would you want to go to a personal trainer who is fat? I don't think you would. I mean, there's a reason that I don't hang out a shingle as a personal trainer because I'm no poster child for personal training. So you wouldn't come to me for personal training. You wouldn't go to a dentist that doesn't brush his teeth. Now listen, in the same way, that kind of hypocrisy is in play when you and I try to talk to people about God's values. He said, why would anybody want to listen to you about my values if you don't even have gentleness in your life? If you don't even have the compassion of Jesus Christ evident in you, then don't lead off with this talk about values, because God says you're just engaged in an adventure and missing the point. It's just not going to happen. And then you got that second word there. You're like, mean we've got another word? Yes, we do. And that's the word respect. So it's gentleness, but also respect. Also a fascinating word. It's the Greek word phobos, where we get our English word phobia from. You all know what a phobia is. It's a fear. And so this word appears hundreds of times in the Old and New Testament, this word phobos. And get this, it started out in the Bible as a word that simply meant fear. I'm afraid of something. But over time, this word in the Bible morphs into more of a respect or awe still kind of having some distance to it because you have so much respect and awe and reverence and honor for the person that's in front of you that it's almost linked back to this idea of fear. This word is used all the time in light of God in the Old Testament. Isaiah, you know, fear God and things like that. But it's also used of people in the Old Testament. When Moses came down from the mountain, it says that they had awe or respect of him. 
When Joshua led him into the promised land, it says they respected him. When Samuel was declared a prophet, it said they respected him. When Jesus came on the scene, it says the crowds respected him. This word is used in wives respecting their husbands, children showing respect to their fathers, believers respecting each other. And then you guessed it, this same word with all the power behind it, phobos, fear, respect, is used in how you and I should show respect to secular authorities in Romans 13, 7, and then in dealing with all people here in 1 Peter 3, 15. Gentleness and respect, two indispensable character traits that God absolutely expects in his followers who would dare to tout his values to a confused and needy culture. And so I was racking my brain all this week, you know, how do I get this point across, because we just did the, the exegesis there, how do we apply this without calling somebody out? And I couldn't think how to do it, so I'm going to call somebody out. I, I, I'm going to pick on an organization in the positive right now to show you how I think this works in culture in a really positive way. Some of you know I lead a Bible study for men in the marketplace on Wednesday mornings, every Wednesday morning, called Marketplace Bible Study, and it was the brainchild of Dave Cavan, one of our business guys here, who said if you get, uh, if you will come up weekly with a Bible study, I'll get a bunch of men from the marketplace, and we'll just see where God's leads. And we've been doing this for about three years. We've got about 100 men that that show up uh, to the corporate Rain Tree Center up there, and it's open to all all men are welcome to come to this. But we, over the summer, uh, changed our place to the headquarters of the Alliance Defense Fund. Now, I knew a little bit about the Alliance, give me a click here, guys. I knew about the Alliance Defense Fund from visiting one of their conferences in Chicago a couple years ago, and then through, obviously, my reading of what's going on in the evangelical world. And the Alliance Defense Fund is a group of lawyers, Christian lawyers, whose sole goal is to defend religious liberty here in the States and even internationally. They're concerned that as culture has gotten more and more secular, that the religious freedom that our country is founded upon is being attacked, and sometimes even from within our country, and they're just committed to us as Christians being able to have the religious freedom we have and even the values that come out of that. And ADF is an extremely front lines, very successful group of lawyers, very large. Uh, They have won 38 cases at the Supreme Court level. They win 75% of cases that they litigate to conclusion. Uh, They have trained over 2,000 allied lawyers across the United States who combined have given $131 million in pro bono hours to the cause of religious liberty. So you can't find an organization that is more on the front lines in fighting for values than the Alliance Defense Fund, and they do it very well. So I'm walking into the Alliance Defense Fund a few months ago as we started our Bible study there, and you have to walk by two display cases as you go in. The first display case shows its founding CEO, Alan Sears, and then the board members. And it shows the chairman of the board, Chapman Cox. And I smiled as I walked by that display case because I've met Alan. We've had lunch a couple of times, spent some time with him in Chicago. And I got to tell you, this guy is wicked smart. I mean, he is so brilliant. Brandeis University Law School. He served under the Reagan administration and was the assistant attorney general and chief of the criminal section. He was the attorney general, director of the attorney general's commission on pornography under the Reagan era and just brilliantly successful. And then in 1994, started the Alliance Defense Fund. 
and he's got a national and international reputation. And I smiled as I walked by Alan's picture because he's such a gentleman. He's such a nice man. I've never seen him lose his cool. I'm sure at home he does, but I've never seen it. I, I have never seen him disrespectful in public. I have never seen him anything but an, um, uh, just an amazing representative of Jesus Christ. And then I walk by Chapman's picture. Chapman Cox, he served in Vietnam. He was eventually a colonel in the military services. He was under the Reagan administration as well as the assistant secretary of the Navy, eventually the general counsel of the entire Department of Defense. He's earned two distinguished public service medals from the Department of Defense and a distinguished public service medal from the Department of the Navy. He's got a JD from Harvard Law School. Again, a brilliant man, chairman of the board for ADF. And I've spent some time with him, and he's nothing but a gentleman. Just gentle in heart, kind, good-hearted. I wouldn't want to meet either of these guys in a courtroom. I wouldn't want to be on the other end of the fight with either of these guys. But they epitomize gentleness and respect. And then I walked by the second display case, and I saw pictures of Larry Burkett, who's now dead, and Bill Bright, who's now dead, two Christian leaders in the national realm here. And from what I knew of them, just gentlemen. And then I thought of some of the people from this church who worked there, and I thought of Ben Bull, one of the lead litigators, gentlemen. I thought of Anita Simsler, who works in their leadership, just a lady for Christ. I thought of, of Sean Bosky, who works in their development. Again, it's just a shining example of what it means to love people in Jesus' name. So all of a sudden, you got this organization that's out there on the front lines fighting the culture wars, quite frankly, more than any of us ever will probably, and yet they're doing so in such a gentle and respectful way, but firm and confident. And the thought hit me, no wonder God uses them. No wonder God uses them to protect our freedom because they got it right. They've mixed the two things that we're talking about in these two weeks, and that is having the courage to enter into the fray and to have the guts to speak God's values into our culture, but doing so with gentleness and respect along the way. And God uses them. And my point is that he wants to use you the same way. We're probably never going to be lead litigators with the Alliance Defense Fund. But the reality is, is that you and I have conversations every day that matter. We talk to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our kids, our family members, our fellow students. We talk all the time with them about God and even his values. You can't escape it today. And we have the same Holy Spirit that lives in us, the same Bible that we read, the same living examples around us. I'm telling you, we can do this. And so my, my challenge to you is simply to do a gut check. That whenever you find yourself engaging, maybe even this week, with others over God's value, simply ask yourself, would the criteria of gentleness and respect that Peter places on my life here, that God places on my life, fit into my how right now? Would they fit into how I'm talking to others right now? It's the first thing that God wants us to know as we dare to trumpet his values and truth to the culture around us. Now, there's one final thing to understand. We have a few minutes left here in this brief two-week series on convictions, and it's point two on your outline this morning, and, or point three, I'm sorry, and very important for anyone, again, who loves God and His truth and wants to help others. And this is going to throw some of you. So I warn you right now, as we put it up here on the screen, you've got to hang with me. I know you're tired, but we're going to be out of here in about 15 minutes. Can you do it? All right, good. Here's point three. We must remember to keep first things first and never eclipse the gospel with God's or our values. 
And you're saying, what are you talking about? In other words, what I'm trying to say, folks, is that though it is true that God wants this world to embrace his values, I would argue even when they're digging their heels in and not coming to Christ, he still wants them to know about his values because it helps culture. At the same time, what you need to know is that God cares more that all people would come to faith in Jesus Christ and like the prodigal son, come home to him in faith relationship and to be in right relationship with God the Father. In other words, I'm suggesting to you that God does have a priority list. That though God does care about morality and the values of this world and he wants Christians to not be shy to talk about that, I think he cares more that at the end of the day, people come to Christ. He does. I mean, think about it, folks. The fact that, that God has said that he wants this world to embrace in values is toward the end goal that they might know him personally and come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what God is shooting for. And so to the degree that you and I share his values, but when we don't do it with gentleness and respect, or when, as we're going to see in a second here, we put so much weight on them that we never get to the gospel, we do great disservice to the kingdom of God, and to what God's ultimate goal is in wanting us to talk to people in the first place. The point is, is that good things, even good things, can distract from the gospel. Even good things like values. And quite frankly, I'm going to show you here right now, Jesus was not very happy when good things distracted people in his day from what God was really up to in the gospel. You know, as much as Jesus was a gentle person, there were times we all know that he got angry, even justifiably angry, with the culture around him. Pause there for a second. That means, and this will be new to some of you, and it's not the point of today's message, but this will be helpful, that anger is not the absence or anger is not the opposite of gentleness. I hope we can all realize that. Certainly, there are plenty of people who get angry, and they're not gentle, they're not kind, they're not good, and that's a problem. But, but Jesus shows us, because he was the perfect incarnate Son of God, that there are times you can be angry, justifiably so, and communicate it in appropriate ways and still be a gentle person in your demeanor. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus got angry on rare occasions, almost every scenario his anger is directed at pastors. That doesn't bode well for me. Uh, Jesus reserved almost all of his anger for the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I want to show you right now, look up on the screen, that he got mainly angry at the fact that they eclipsed the things that God really cared most about with the fact that they were vying so much for certain values that come from the Old Testament. Uh, let me read you Jesus' words here as he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. You'll see what I mean. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. I'll let you look up that one later. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And so just check out what's going on here, folks. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were really good at knowing the law. 
And not only that, they were also really good at asking people to live out God's values. So the Pharisees in Jesus' day were talking about tithing, giving a tenth of everything to God. They talked about sacrifice. They talked about not breaking the Sabbath day, but honoring the Sabbath day. Lots of values from the Old Testament. But isn't it interesting that Jesus had a major problem with them because in doing all of these seemingly good things, and they were good things, they come right out of the Old Testament, they had neglected what he called weightier matters, things like mercy and faithfulness. And I love how Jesus reasonably puts this in verse 23. This is the balance when he says, these you ought to have done, meaning tithing and obeying the Sabbath, without neglecting the others, meaning these more weightier matters. And so what this teaches us is that it's good to trumpet God's values to people around you because they're righteous and they're good and they reflect his character. But to the degree that you and I do this and forget the more weightier aspects of God's economy, I would argue things like his gospel and how to be in right relationship to his grace is to the degree that we are engaged in an adventure in missing the point. And I'm sure you caught Jesus' tone and word choice here. He was ticked. I mean, this was, it made him more mad than anything else when he was on this earth. And I think it's very instructive for you and me today. I do. As I said last week, and I couldn't have made it more clear, I believe that God is a God of moral values and desires all creation to embrace them. And so I mean that you and I should not be shy to share this with our culture because I think we do them a favor when we do so. And yet, we have to remember that as biblically-minded Christians, we also believe, now don't miss this, that all humanity is lost in trespasses and sins, and at the end of the day are incapable on their own to live up to God's holy standards. Pause there. Do we all understand that? I mean, see what we're doing there. In a sense, what we're doing is sharing God's values with our culture, and then all of a sudden pulling a fast one on them and saying, oh, by the way, outside of the Holy Spirit living in you, outside of coming to Jesus Christ, y'all aren't going to really do a good job at living these values anyways. They're going to frustrate you. They're going to frustrate you when you try to live up to God's standards for marriage, when you try to live up to his sexual values, when you try to live up to his cultural and societal values. You're going to get frustrated in trying to do so because you're fallen inside. You're human. And the reality is you can't live up to his holy standards on your own. So we're putting values before them that I think we should because it stands a chance of helping culture, but at the same time, we're putting values before them that are going to frustrate them because outside of help from God, they cannot live these things out to the way God wants us to. And it's right then and there that you and I better not eclipse the gospel because what do they need to hear at that point? They need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about the fact that when you realize what a mess you are, when you realize how hopeless you are on a moral level, that that's why Jesus came. The whole reason he came was to die on a wooden cross as your sin bearer, as the one who would forgive you of your sin to bring you into right relationship with God. And that when you embrace Jesus Christ and his truth and who he is and become a follower of him, you've now entered into a relationship with God in which the Spirit lives in you. He gives you power. You've got other believers around you to help you. You've got a church and knit all that together. You stand a better chance of living the values now that he wants you to embrace. And so now do you see, if we eclipse that gospel, in the way that we share his values, and we do that in two ways, either one, by not having gentleness and respect, so we repel people with our harshness, 
Or if we put so much weight on these values that the cross is never seen, all they ever see is the values, then I'm telling you, we have failed to explain to people adequately what God really wants from them. And again, if I'm reading the Bible right, this made Jesus really mad. The gospel is the good news to humankind, and it centers around Christ's death on a cross for our sins and his resurrection for eternal life. And anything that eclipses this, isn't this interesting, even good things like trumpeting his values or Pharisees talking about sacrificing, then God says we really don't help humanity, and he's really not pleased. That's why I say we must remember to keep first things first and never eclipse the gospel with our values. And the Pharisees show us that it's possible to do this, and Jesus is bent on preventing us from doing so. You know, y'all have been really great today in paying attention. I, I know you don't believe me, but I do look at your faces when I'm speaking, and I can tell if you're with me or not. I really can. And, and some of you aren't. That's okay. But, uh, but it, it just, it's, it's a struggle sometimes. But you've, we've only had one illustration in 35 minutes, only one, and that was the ADF thing. And, man, you were with me, so bless you for doing that. But to reward you, I want to close with an illustration. And, and to help us with this illustration... Steve Erickson is going to come out here and help us. Steve is the biggest staff person we could find here at Scottsdale Bible Church. And Steve is our pastor of spiritual formation. Some of you know him. He's the guy who helps us all go deeper in Christ. He teaches our 100 and 200 and 300 and 400 level classes. And he's preached here before. He's been here for about a decade now on staff. But you were born and raised in this church. And uh, so about... 30, 35, years. 35 years. Well, Steve, it's good to have you up here. Steve represents, well, not represents the average Christian, but we want him to represent here today uh, what a Christian is to look like in this sense symbolically. That God says that when Christ saves you, when he enters your life, in a very real way, he puts a cross upon you. You're now a bearer of Jesus' message. Every one of you who are followers of Christ here today symbolically speaking, have a cross plastered right on your chest. And the Bible says that wherever you go, you are an ambassador, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. And the way it's supposed to work is that through your love, your kindness, your verbal witness, people learn about Jesus through you. As one guy once said, some, you might be the only epistle that some people ever read. And it's true. And so Steve here is representing that. And I got in my hand here the, the, the values that we brought to our attention last week that come right out of the Word, that have become political issues today. The, the holiness of marriage, uh, religious liberty, sexual values, sanctity of life, uh, the strangers in the land, the whole immigration issue, uh, creation care, the fact that we need to care for this earth that God has given us as well as utilize it, and then the poor and needy, that, that God values people caring for those who are misfortunate around you. So these are the seven values. And here's what we want to illustrate. When you and I talk about these values with those around us in such a way that we are not gentle and kind, in such a way that we even might give so much emphasis to them that they don't see anything else in our lives but these values. They never hear or see anything about Jesus. They never understand anything about the cross. When you and I don't talk reasonably about these things with those around us, eventually what happens is that everybody sees the values, how could they not, but they miss the cross. Before you know it, when you and I are not kind and not gentle, 
or when we give undue weight to these things, which simply means that we don't talk to them about the cross or Christ, before you know it, we've eclipsed the cross with all of these values. And I believe that what God says is he wants us to take them off the cross and to put them around the cross, maybe on our arms, so that we are armed with these values, get it, armed with these values, and that then when we do that, and these values are rightly placed around the cross of Christ, doesn't that become a much better visual? When we start to be gentle and kind, when you and I see these values, now don't miss this, as flowing out of the cross, because that's what they've done for us. I mean, I didn't embrace these things until I became a Christian. And so though people told me about them before I became a Christian, and though Christians were, were fighting for the good in our country before I became a Christian, I personally did not embrace these until I came to Jesus Christ. It was the cross that, that gave me these values. When you and I present them like that, all of a sudden now we're doing what God wants us to do. But we're the kind of Christian that isn't just about the cross, that's also about his values, but flowing out of the cross. And we don't eclipse the cross in all of our talk about what God wants for our nation. This is the kind of Christian I long for at Scottsdale Bible Church. Because you see, the last two weeks have been very, very designed for our church. We have two camps of people here. We have more, but just go with me on this for a second. We have those among you here today and in all of our services that just love the culture wars. You love the political realm. You love talking about God's values. And what you need to know is that we're 100% behind you. But our challenge to you, our encouragement to you, is to do so with gentleness and respect. To just remember, every time you're ambassador for Jesus Christ, do not eclipse the cross. Keep the cross in perspective and be loving and winsome in how you communicate these things. But then there's another group of you that don't believe Christians should ever talk about these things. I know that because when I've broached these subjects from the pulpit, I get emails from you saying, Christians shouldn't talk about these things, and you should stick to theology and not politics. What we've been trying to say to you over the last two weeks is, no, these things matter. These are high values to God, and they, we need to be armed with them as we go out into the world. And yet the reality is, is that you might need to start getting a little bit more bold a little bit more intentional in the voting booth, a little bit more intentional in the way that you view culture around you and not be afraid to care for this country as God wants you to care for this country. In a very real way, we've been trying to pull two groups together over the last two weeks. Those of you who are already in the battle, if you will, but to make sure we're loving and respectful because we have a long way to go there, and then to get the rest of us to meet in the middle as well and be unified as a church. Steve, thank you for showing us this. That's awesome. Thanks. So I just want you to chew on this. I, I, you know, I think that we're all at different places spiritually. In the last service, we had a guy who was a seeker, hadn't even come to Christ yet, and then we had uh, veteran believers for 70 years. And so I, I know that, that we're a, a very diverse congregation that way. So wherever you are spiritually, I hope that God is speaking to your heart in some way personally as to what he wants you to do as a next step. But I can't wait to see as God biblically guides us how he's going to use us to continue to affect our city for the good, all right? So let's bow together right now and pray, and then you can be on your way. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace, and that flowing out of your goodness and grace, 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that we all need forgiveness, we all need a Savior, and that Jesus came to provide that. And so, Lord, as we've embraced Jesus Christ here now, we realize that there are a bunch of kingdom values that flow out of this that aren't just for Christians, but that you desire for all of creation. And they have to do with things like honoring life and honoring marriage and caring for those in need and even strangers in our land and honoring this earth you've given us, all the things, Lord, that you have given us. And, Father, we haven't talked specifically about even what your word says about all those things, but, you know, we know that you care about them. And we know, Lord, that you want us to each look at the Word and and discover what your Word says and not be afraid uh, to vie for truth in this world, in this country you have given us. And so, God, I pray that you help each of us to do so. Help us to be reasonable. Help us to be responsible and reflective. Help us to be passionate and men and women of conviction. Lord, more than anything, would you help us be people who are able to give a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, but to do it with gentleness and respect. Lord, would you work that in our hearts and minds, we pray. We'll give you glory if you do. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy and his precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you guys next week.